like you to open your Bibles at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6 this evening on um, not judging. What do you think is the most well-known verse in the Bible today? In society, I'm not thinking about in the church. It used to be John 3.16, didn't it? That would be the, about the most well-known verse in the Bible. Maybe today the most well-known verse in society is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, and just the three first words. Do not judge. So, you have a, an elder in the church who um, robs the bank, um, ditches his wife and kids, and runs off with um, someone, and you say, oh, you know, it's terrible. Do not judge. You shouldn't judge. <laughs> That's the way society tells us we've got to behave. We mustn't judge. Um, I have a friend whose church was being influenced by what I think is a very cultish Christianity. And I was very concerned, so I lent her a book, a very good book. And she replied by telling me off, because it was such a bad book. It was criticizing a Christian. And how awful of me to lend her a book. Now, she was able to criticize me for lending her a book. <laughs> but the book wasn't allowed to criticize a false teacher. You know, we, we live in this world where, where we think we can silence everyone by saying, do not judge, you should not judge. But it doesn't mean, uh, do not judge ever anybody at all. It's saying, you know, don't set yourself up as the judge. Uh, it's not saying you shouldn't judge at all. I mean, in the Old Testament, there's a book called Judges, isn't there? And God, in his mercy and grace, raised up judges. And in the New Testament church, in Corinth, they were going to the law courts and taking each other to court. And the Apostle Paul said, that's terrible. You should raise up people amongst yourselves and make them judges amongst you. You should be able to judge amongst yourselves. There's nothing wrong with making right judgments. You can read all that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in the first four verses. I mean, we need judges. We need judges for everything, for sport, for athletics. You know, the, the, the guy who's going to fire the starting pistol, he has two pellets in there, doesn't he? One, so they can start and the second one, if someone starts too soon. And he's going to make the judgment. Because they've all got to start at the same time. It's not fair if someone starts, you know, ten seconds before someone else. Or tennis. At Wimbledon, they have an umpire, don't they? And they even have Hawkeye. Just to make sure that the umpire judges accurately. You've got to make judgments. How many of you remember when you were young, playing football with no referee? And the other team complained at everything you did, didn't they? Or was it the other way around? You complained at what they did. That's terrible. You just need judges. In education, can you imagine what it's like if you have no judges? Maths exam, you answer all the questions, and the guy next to you answers none of them, and you both pass. 
It's ridiculous, isn't it? You've got to have judges. Or what about your driving test? <laughs> what happens if there's no examiner for the driving test? Well, it's all right for you, but it's terrible for everybody else on the roads. When Caroline and I were in Egypt, in the church there, there was a girl, and um, she was driving, and I said, how long have you been driving for? She said, oh, I've had a driving uh, license since I was 15. I said, I thought you weren't allowed to drive till you were 18. She said, well, that's the law of the land, but I've got a friend who works in the <laughs> driving license office, and they just got me a driving license. <laughs> never had a driving lesson, never been in a car, but had a license. Lethal. Reminds me of my mum's driving. <laughs> but I mustn't make judgments. <laughs> you see, it, it doesn't mean don't make judgments ever at all. It means don't be judgmental. Don't set yourself up as the judge. You know, being judgmental means criticizing from a superior viewpoint. It means being overcritical. It means criticizing with an authority that you haven't got. You stand there and you just criticize everybody. Who are you to do that? It means criticizing every minor fault. You know, a tiny little fault and you jump on them. And you make everybody else walk on eggshells around you because you're going to judge. Here Jesus says, in verses 1 and 2, he says, don't be judgmental. Now he doesn't say don't be blind to faults because in verse 6 he's going to tell you to make judgments. But be gentle, be generous in the way you deal with people. And then we'll see when we come to our second point, verses 3 to 5, the next paragraph, it's be self-critical. So don't be overly critical of others, but be critical of yourself. And then finally, the third paragraph, verse 6, make wise judgments. So here, let's come to our first point. Don't be judgmental, verses 1 and 2. Don't appoint yourself as the judge for others. So we had a lady come to church. Um, she was a school teacher, and a, a teacher at school had a witness to her, and so on the strength of that, she came to church, and one of her neighbors recognized her. And so a few days later, her neighbor said to her, ah, so you've started coming to church. You've got to stop drinking and smoking if you want to come to church. So she never came back to church again. Now, where does it say you mustn't drink or smoke? Did Jesus drink? Did he turn water into wine? Did he tell us at communion to drink? Yes. So even if you don't like drinking, you can't say it's sinful, or else you end up with Jesus being sinful. We had Peter Woodcock preaching for us at Lansdowne once, and he was talking about how people say Christians shouldn't smoke and how that's driving away a whole uh, generation who feel, you know, they can't come to church because they light up afterwards and everyone's tut, 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 tut at them. And he said, he said, nowhere does it say you can't smoke. Indeed, he says, the temple was filled with smoke <laughs> and the people didn't like it. <laughs> but, you know, this attitude that we, we can be so judgmental of people, it, it drives them away. We mustn't do it. E. Stanley Jones was a great missionary in India. I don't know him well. I remember when I saw the film Gandhi, he was there. He was a friend of Gandhi. He wrote a biography of Gandhi. He was a great American evangelist and a writer and a um, 
a missionary statesman. And he was at a minister's fraternal one day, and one of the ministers there had announced publicly that the day before he would be preaching on the errors of E. Stanley Jones. <laughs> so Stanley Jones went up to him at the um, minister's fraternal and said, um, how many people were converted when you preached on my errors last night? And the guy said, none. And Stanley Jones said, well, we had over 20 people converted when I preached last night on the greatness of Jesus Christ. And it, it puts things into perspective, doesn't it? We can be so preaching about the, the, what's wrong with others that we're not pointing to Jesus Christ. You know, before we criticise someone, we should really try and walk in their shoes for a mile. You know, we criticise their children. We criticise, you know, their, their, their um, different gifts. But if we were in their situation... <laughs> <laughs> we might be much worse than they are. It, it, it's foolish to be like that. Um, e. Stanley Jones actually tells of a uh, missionary who um, was asked by someone what they thought of another missionary. And the first missionary says, well, I'll go and ask the Lord about that. And he came back the next day and he said, I spoke to the Lord and he told me, that I shouldn't talk to you about that person, I should talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> I thought, isn't that lovely? Let's try and get rid of this critical, judgmental spirit. And yet, isn't it true that as a church in this country, we've got a reputation for being judgmental and critical? You know, people are frightened to tell us that, oh, you know, there's a divorce in the family, or... Uh, an unmarried mother in the family because they think we're going to be so hostile and judgmental. That's what they expect from us. Now, why is it? Why have we got this reputation for being judgmental? Well, two reasons. One reason we've got a reputation for being critical is because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when unconverted people come into our services, they feel decidedly uncomfortable. My home church in Wivaliscombe, um, 20 years ago, uh, Mr. Forsyth retired as the minister, and they had a new minister came along, and they had an induction service for the new minister, and people came from other churches to support the service. And afterwards, one of them said to one of the leaders of the church, he said, I feel so unclean here. Uh, isn't that interesting? You know, he just came into the church service where there was the presence of God and he felt unclean. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So people come and they, they feel condemned because they're convicted of their sin. And that's a right sense. They should have that feeling, but they don't realize that this is God convicting them of sin and so they turn against us and accuse us of making them feel uncomfortable. But there's another reason why we have a reputation for uh, being critical and judgmental, and that is because, stupidly, we do it. We, we tend to criticise and condemn. We read Christian magazines which are so hostile to other opinions, and we think that's the way to do it. So we are hostile to other opinions, and we become negative and judgmental and critical and condemning. 
Not only that, but we know that some things are wrong. And we expect non-Christians to be able to live by Christian standards, which of course they can't. And we should never really expect non-Christians to live by Christian standards. But foolishly, we can rebuke them and tell them off because they're not living by Christian standards. They can't do it. And we, we should be praying for them and loving them and witnessing them. But we tend to be a little bit judgmental. And then sometimes, because we've heard over-enthusiastic preaching or whatever, <coughs> we think we are faithful to God by condemning the person in the office. And we think we're being bold Christians by judging others. Well, let's listen to Jesus. What does Jesus say? Do not do it, right? Do not judge. It's very simple. Don't do it. First of all, verse 1, it brings judgment back upon yourself. Whether it's judgment from people or whether it's judgment from God, I don't know. But you will certainly be judged if you judge others. And also, verse 2, not only does it bring judgment back upon you, but you will receive this over-critical judgment. Definitely from people. You know, you are going around judging them. Well, when they get an opportunity to judge you, they're going to milk it for all it's worth, aren't they? Yeah, because you've been uh, judging them as a right. <laughs> Now's their time, and they will criticize you, and they'll never let you forget it. And possibly from God. Possibly if we have this attitude where we play God, and we feel we can judge others, we are there to judge others. We are the uh, great conscience. Well then, beware, for those who teach others will be judged the more strictly, says James. So be very, very careful. Repent of your sin. We need to repent and drink in the grace of God. What we need to do is, when we're tempted to judge someone, we need to pray. And we need in our prayers to come to the cross of Calvary. As we're to climb up that hill on our knees, confessing our sin. And when we come to the cross of Calvary, to plead that God would be merciful to us, the sinner. We look to our right. And we see that person we wanted to criticize there at the foot of the cross as well. And that should silence our criticism. Remember the story of George Whitfield? when there was this tension between Whitfield and Wesley, and someone came up to George Whitfield and said, Mr. Whitfield, do you think we'll see John Wesley in heaven? And Whitfield said no. And the man was, oh, good, good. And Whitfield said, Wesley's not going to be in heaven. Whitfield said no, because he's going to be so near the throne, and we're going to be so far away, that when we look towards the throne, We'll be blinded by the glory of God and we won't see Wesley at all. <laughs> Isn't it lovely to have this non-judgmental, non-critical, this gracious and merciful spirit? So don't be judgmental. That was verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 to 5, the middle section, is judge yourself. 
In other words, we've got to be the opposite of King David. Do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12? And David sins, and then to cover up his sin, he gets Uriah the Hittite to come, and he tries to get him drunk, and tries to get him to go and sleep with his wife, and when he, he won't do that, he then sends a, a message to have him killed on the battlefield, and tries to cover up all his sin, and, and continue as if it hasn't happened. And then Nathan the prophet comes and tells him about this person who had lots of sheep, and he goes and steals this one sheep from this poor family. And David jumps up and says, he deserves to die. He's got to pay back fourfold for what he's done. <laughs> and Nathan says, you're the man. There was David thinking his sin of killing Uriah didn't matter. But this man who just took a sheep, he deserves to die. We can be so strict with others. And so <laughs> excusing our own faults. We've got to learn to turn it around. So that actually we're merciful to others. And we're pretty strict with ourselves. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Speck of sawdust. Tiny little bit. Now, Jesus worked at the carpenter's bench, didn't he? He would know all about getting specks of sawdust in his eye. When I worked in the hospital in Nazareth, they had the whole metalwork department. And I was work walking through our... Uh, accident and emergency, and I saw one of the uh, Swiss guys who worked at the hospital there sitting, uh, waiting to go in to see the doctor in accident and emergency, and he was holding his eye open like that. So I went and I sat next to him and asked him uh, what the problem was, and he said, he's got a tiny bit of metal stuck in his eye. And so I looked closely, didn't wear glasses in those days, and there was a tiny bit of metal in his eye. And he had to go and have the doctor with um, you know, magnifying glasses and water and tweezers just take that tiny speck out of his eye. Speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye. Plank, actually the word that Jesus uses for plank is the word for battering ram. You know the great big tree trunk that it would take 20 men to put on their shoulders, <laughs> and you've got one of those in your eye. Uh, and so Jesus says, we overlook our own sins, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? We, we can be so blind to our own faults. Um, okay, Spurgeon lived 150 years ago, but he's good for illustrations. And he tells a story of when he was uh, walking through the um, church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church building in London after a Sunday morning service, and he saw a Sunday school teacher with a little girl, and the little girl was in tears. So Spurgeon stopped and said, you know, what's the problem? And the Sunday school teacher said, well, I, I've had to tell her off. Why, says Spurgeon? Well, she's wearing flowers in her hat. And the little girl was in tears. So Spurgeon said to the Sunday school teacher, but you've got flowers in your hat. Yes, said the Sunday school teacher, but mine are on the outside, hers are on the inside. <laughs> and so was rebuking the poor little girl and reducing her to tears. We can be like that if we're not careful. We can be so blind to our own faults. You see, when we are prayerless, 
Well, we're busy. When other people are prayerless, well, they're not very good Christians. <laughs> we can excuse ourselves. But when we're not enthusiastic in our worship and praise of God, it's because we're concentrating. When others aren't enthusiastic, it's because they're backslidden. And we can be so judgmental of others, but not ourselves. So we overlook our own sins, verse 3. We are hypocrites when we are judgmental to others, verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a battering ram in your own eye? Some people love to be critical. I remember Chuck Swindle saying that he was a visiting speaker somewhere. And as he started to preach, someone walked in from the back and walked up and started condemning everybody in the church and then walked out again. And afterwards, Swindle said to the people, he said, who on earth was that guy? He said, oh, he's a Christian from another church. He believes he's got the gift of rebuking. <laughs> well, lots of Christians seem to have the gift of rebuking, don't they? But, you know, we're hypocrites. Look at it. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? How many of my sins do you know? Far too many, yes, you do. But right, you know just a few of my sins. How many of my sins do I know? All of them. How many of your sins do I know? Very few. How many do you know? All of them. And there you are telling me, and there am I telling you to take the speck out of your eye when I know there's a plank in my own eye. I should be dealing with my sins. So that's what we see in verse 5. Thirdly, don't be a hypocrite. Deal with our sins. 5. You hypocrites, first take the plank out of your own eye. How do we do that? First of all, we repent of our sins. We get down on our knees and we confess our sin to the Lord and repent of it. Secondly, we pray for God's help to deal with it because we can't deal with it on our own strength. And so we need God's help. And then thirdly, we go to one of the elders for counsel or we find an accountability partner because there are some things that, with God's help, we still can't do on our own. We're never made to be individuals. We need to run the race together. And then we need to spend time studying the life of Jesus because we are followers of Jesus Christ. But we must deal with our own sins, the speck in our own eye. And then, and only then, will you be able to help. The end of verse 5. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I can remember the very first time I had an eyelash sticking in my eye. I was about four or five. And I can remember going to my sister Ruth and she got a hanky and she took the eyelash out and she did it so gently. I didn't go to my brothers who would get, you know, their penknife and stick it out. <laughs> did it very gently. You know what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6? Those of you, if you see someone caught in a sin, those of you who are spiritual, restore them gently. But you have to be spiritual. You have to be those who have been dealing with the sin in your life. Um, 
I knew a girl once who came to see me. She wanted to train as a counselor. Now, I knew her life. I knew that she had horrendous problems. And she sat on the floor in my office, which was strange, and told me that she wanted to train to be a counselor. And I said to her, is this because you want to deal with other people's problems so you don't have to face your own? <laughs> she said, yeah. Yeah. As long as I deal with other people's problems, I can ignore my own. Well, we mustn't. We must deal with our own sins, and then we will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. So judge yourself. And then finally, verse 6. Sorry if I've gone on a bit long. Don't be gullible. And here's a chiasm. Don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. Do you see that? Dogs and pigs. The end, sacred and valuable in the middle. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Dogs. Put a nice, friendly dog up there. <laughs> because you've got to understand that dogs in first century Israel were not family pets. They were wild animals, like pack animals, a bit like wolves. Remember when I lived in French West Africa, Niger, we had uh, the post went twice a week and I wanted to get this letter in the letterbox so I had to uh, go about two miles to the post office to post the letter and it was late in the evening and so I decided I would run to the post office and I had to run past the market square which was about a mile by a mile square massive market area and I had to run past it we were a city of a million people and as I started to run past one of the entrances to the marketplace, a whole pack of dogs, which were scavenging in the marketplace area at night time, came chasing after me. You know Usain Bolt has nothing on me. <laughs> he thinks he's fast. He doesn't know how to run fast. Well, I ran fast, but the dogs ran faster. And so I turned on them. And fortunately, I can put my fingers in my mouth and whistle very loud. And I did. And they stopped. And then I bolted at them and they turned and fled. And I ran home as fast as I've ever run in my life. But they weren't friendly. They were nasty. And Jesus says, don't throw around sacred things. Don't give dogs what is sacred. You say grace before a meal. But you don't say grace before you throw your scraps onto the compost heap or in the wormery, do you? No, we, we, we treat sacred things better when we take communion, when we meet together as a church. These are sacred things, and we are to deal with them in a, uh, a respectful way. The church has moved rapidly away from treating anything sacred. It's thrown what is sacred to the dogs today and everything is chaotic, unspiritual, irreverent. We just make Sunday fun day. Now I say that because 30 years ago as a young minister when I was in Ramsgate, I walked past uh, a church building and they had on the notice board, Sunday is fun day and my blood just chilled. 
And I had never seen that again till today. I looked up a church today online and it says Sunday is fun day. Well, thank God he gives us fun. But Sunday is the Lord's day. Sunday is the day we celebrate the resurrection from the dead of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to treat sacred things in a sacred way. Don't give dogs what is sacred. And valuable things we are to treat in a valuable way. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. It's a waste. And we've got to work out how we do our evangelism. Because there's no point doing evangelism which we know is ineffective and the people just laugh at us and ridicule us and reject our message. We've got to learn how to do effective evangelism. We don't just do it because we've always done it. Got to make sure we're doing cross-cultural evangelism in a relevant way. Don't throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, useless, and turn and tear you to pieces. It's worse for you. So, number one, don't rush in to criticize. Number two, don't ignore the plank in your own eye. And number three, don't be naive in your Christian living. Drink in God's grace. Take in God's grace and let it flow through you. Remember when the woman was caught in adultery and brought to Jesus and they said, should we stone her to death? And Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let's be followers of Jesus.